Hi, good evening. Good to have you here today. We are starting our series on Proverbs, or actually on wisdom. And so we want you to uh, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon was one of the most wisest men who ever lived. And I want us to look at, last week we looked at the great promise that God gives us, and that is a promise that if we need wisdom and we ask for it, he will give it to us. But then we also discover how he gives wisdom. Wisdom you don't get just by asking for it. There is an acronym we use, A-S-K. Do you remember what that stands for? The A stands for ask. The S stands for seek or search. And the K stands for knock. Knock. Let's talk a brief moment what each one of those means. We know what ask means. You need something, you need to mention that you need it. Don't take it for granted that God knows what you need. He wants you to actually ask for it. In fact, the Bible says there's some things we don't have because we don't ask. Ask shows dependency and ask shows faith. Now I say dependency. Sometimes we don't want to ask. When I was a kid, I couldn't just go in the refrigerator and get whatever I wanted. I had to ask my mom for that. Why is that? You think she didn't want me to eat? No. She was showing. Go ahead, Jada. I did ask a question. Why was that? Why would I have to ask for it? Permission, right. It's showing authority. It's showing respect. Um, and it's showing that you just don't do what you want to do. You do what those who are in authority over you give for you to do. And it's the same thing was with our eating. And she probably knew that given a chance, you know, I would not be going in the refrigerator getting a piece of broccoli. I wouldn't be going there and getting a stick of celery. I probably wouldn't go in the refrigerator. I'd be going in the cabinets looking for a donut, looking for some cookies, looking for something like that. And so I needed to ask to make sure that I did what was right. Okay, so we know what ask means. Seek. The S stands for seek. Briefly, just help me understand what does seek mean. What does it mean to seek, Brother Joel? Okay, all right. To search diligently. I wrote something in my notes um, about ask, and I use the word pursue. It means to pursue. Pursue means to go after something, right? And when I think about the word pursue, I think about, listen to this, a, per, a police pursuit. What is that? Somebody young, tell me what that means. What is a police pursuit? Malachi? A what? Okay, that's exactly what it is. Who's chasing who? The bad guys, right? Why are they chasing them? Jada? 
Okay, so they must have done something wrong. So I can imagine this. The police get some kind of call on his radio. They still have radios in their, in their cars saying a, a crime happened. And the criminal looks like this. He's wearing jeans. He's got some red shoes on. And he has a yellow T-shirt. And he's got a, this kind of hat. Or maybe he doesn't have any hat on. Maybe he doesn't have any shirt on. And he's jumped in a car. And he's going this direction on this street. He's in a stolen car. Or he's doing this. And they hear that. And they go to pursue. They go after that criminal. So... Think about police pursuit when I, when I, when I bring up that, that S in search or seek. Um, I'll use that word pursue. Go after hard. In other words, they hear about it. They say, I got to catch that guy. And they go after him and they pursue until they catch him. That's the idea of pursuit in wisdom. Now, how does that work for wisdom? I mentioned last time, you don't get wisdom by just thinking about it and praying about it and wishing for it. You have to actually go after it, pursue it, and get it. And that's kind of the pursuit is that whole thing, ask, seek, knock. The knock has the idea of pursuing as well, is that we're going to Check out one thing after another. If this door doesn't open, we're going to go to the next and check it out there. We don't go to just say, um, when I was younger, I was actually a salesperson. I used to sell um, cookware. And we had to go to different places to try to sell, try to meet people to sell cookware. If you're a salesman, you don't just knock on the door and say, you don't know or know anybody that wants to buy any cookware, do you? Because if you said that, they say, no, bye. You get back in your car and you go home. You have to keep going. If that per first person tells you no, you've got to go to the next person, to the next house, to the next individual, make another contact. You have to keep going. And the same thing when we are pursuing knowledge. We keep going after. I want to show you what that looks like in the life of Solomon. First Kings chapter 3. And we're going to read a few verses there. Let's start with verse 3. So I'm going to need some healthy readers. And again, I'm going to use our young group. If you're under the age of 13 and you can read and you have a Bible, those are three requirements. Under age 13, can read well and you have a Bible. If you meet those three requirements, and you would, would you please read verse 3 for me? 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3. Who raises a hand? All right, I saw, I know, I saw um, Bree's hand first. Go ahead, Bree. Loud and clear. Okay, good. All right, so Solomon, he loved the Lord. He was walking uh, like his father David. He's walking with the Lord. All right, let's skip down to verse 6. No, verse 5. Jada, you could be the next to read verse 5. Wait a minute. Um, 
Do we have microphones ready? I got to be able to hear you. You can stand up first of all. Hold your Bible in front of you so your voice can project to me. I know I have a, a microphone, but I need to hear what you have to say. Verse 5. Gibeon. And then the God said, ask what I shall give you. Think about this. God appears to Solomon at night in a dream. And he tells Solomon to do something. What does he tell Solomon to do? Malachi? Isn't that something? Ask for whatever you want. Ask me, Solomon, for whatever you want. All right? Some, someone else read verse 6. That's a long verse, isn't it? Ooh, that's a very long verse. Malachi, you want to read that for me? Do you have a microphone? There you go. Your mom will hold it for you. Solomon said, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness. Hold on, and you missed a word there. Start again, verse 6. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of the heart toward you. <clears throat> and you have kept him kept for him this great steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on the throne this day. All right, Naomi, could you read verse 7? Hold on, you're gonna bring, they're going to bring your mic. And now, O oh Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And reverse 8 again, too. Mm -hmm. And your servant is, is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen a great, a great people, to many to, to be numbered or counted for multitude. All right. Anthony, you want to read verse 9 for us? Here's a mic. Yeah. We're going to get you that mic. Give your servant, therefore, un an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern our, your great people. Stay there for me because I'm going to have you read just a moment again, okay? So be ready. I want you to listen to this verse 9 and what it says. This is Solomon's request to God. God appeared to Solomon in a dream, and he says, I want you to ask for whatever it is you want. And this is what Solomon asked for. Could you read verse 9 again, at least part of it? Start it off. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind. To govern your people. Stop right there. He says, give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people. 
Thanks you, AJ. You can, you can sit down. He asked for the ability to lead God's people. He asked for wisdom. God told him he could ask for whatever he wanted, and he asked for wisdom. I want you to notice how God responded to what he said. Verse 10, it says, It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. Isn't that amazing? God says to Solomon, because you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give it to you. and I'm going to give you so much so that nobody before you or even after you will be as wise as you will be. Isn't that amazing? But doesn't even stop there, as they say in those commercials. And there's more, <laughs> right? All right, keep going. Verse 12. <clears throat> uh, no, verse 13. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Wow. God says, I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you riches. I'm going to give you honor. And I'm going to give you a long life as long as you walk in obedience to me. So here we see Solomon's great request and God's response to that. That kind of just illustrates what we heard before, that if we ask for wisdom, God will give it to us. Young people, I want you to understand that you need wisdom for this life. That means the ability to make good and wise decisions, the ability to choose to live in obedience to God and to know how to do that. God will give you wisdom. But you have to ask for it. You have to seek it and pursue it. That means coming to church, listening to what God has to say. I notice you, some of you write down and take notes. I notice some of you will grab a Bible and you look at it. That's how you begin to pursue this wisdom. We'll talk more about how you pursue that as we go on this summer and next week when we continue this lesson. Good evening, saints. Good to be back with you guys. Good to be at Crossway on Sunday and get to preach there. It was a blessing to be there, but I still missed you guys. I missed y'all so much, I called Andy and wore the same shirt as him. But let's look in the Gospel of John. And we'll turn into chapter 8. Starting at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, 
If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been a slave to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is a judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets and the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. What does this passage teach us? truly my disciples. What did he mean by that? Okay, they will be known if they kept his commandments. But earlier in the verse it said they believed him. So why is he saying if? Why we need to be set free? 
Now, what's his answer to that? Never been slaves. How did they forget Egypt, right? But even if we skip over that, these people will say that they're not slaves. Well, I mean, their relationship to the Roman government is definitely not free. But Jesus is not talking about that. What is Jesus talking about when he talks about slavery? Sin. Sin, right? How do people become enslaved? switch it to the biblical terminology you become a slave to sin when you do a sin you like doing that sin that's why you did it in the first place but the more you do it the more you like it but the more you like it the less you get out of it that's how sin works the more you do it the less reward there is for it let's imagine that you got a thrill out of running in the street in front of cars crazy but let's say that's your thrill you do it the first time you you man you breathing hard you do it the second time it's not so bad you do it the third time you're starting to get used to it you do it the 15th time it's not as much as a rush now you got to run in front of two cars right now you got to run in front of a semi now you got to run under a semi see you always have to do something more because what you did wrong, it won't get you as excited as what you did when you first started doing it. Sin has something we call diminishing returns. The more you do it, the less you get out of it. But does sin ever let you go? That's how sin gets you. Sin is a lot like, you know, I like that movie, Pinocchio remember the story of Pinocchio they all did this bad stuff but what did they start doing they start turning into these animals remember remember that story they start turning these animals when they did all that bad stuff and then they got enslaved because of that they got tricked you know a lot of adults will tell kids don't take candy from a stranger why because a stranger go ahead Jada I can't hear you what did you say could get kidnapped. The candy is a trap, right? It's a snare to get you. Then they get you, and then they kidnap you, and now you can't get free. That's what sin is. You don't know what you're going to be snared by. That's why when I was young, my dad encouraged me. I took a vow to not drink. Now, people in my work, they'd be like, you never drunk before? And they'd be marveling at that, right? But I've seen people my father told me of plenty of people in his family who died because of alcoholism. If that's a snare in my family, why would I go and take that candy from Satan? Right now, for you, maybe it's not a snare. But for me, it is. So I took a vow. I won't do that. What kind of snares are out there for you? Now, we start to get into this debate about fatherhood. When they start talking about fatherhood, why are they insulting Jesus' fatherhood? Anybody know? 
why would they be insulting Jesus' fatherhood? They accusing him of being an illegitimate child. Why? Because Mary had birth to him before she was married, right? I know nowadays we don't have as much shame with that, but it's a shame to have a baby before you get married, right? And in those days, they had a proper context of shame. Maybe in our day and age, we don't have as much, right? So they were shaming her, but they didn't know what really happened to Mary. What really happened to Mary? What caused her to get pregnant? Go ahead, AJ. Well, not an angel. Jada? God, yes, God caused her to be pregnant, right? And so when we look at Mary... She was pregnant because of the Holy Spirit. Now, she's pregnant because of the Holy Spirit, but do other people know that? All they know is that she's with Joseph, and then one day she pops up pregnant. They think they know what happened, right? They think they know. And they didn't know. Just like they thought they knew where Jesus came from. They thought he came from Nazareth. But where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. People will always be fooled by what they think they know about Jesus, but what they don't actually know. So they started insulting Jesus' fatherhood, but Jesus insults their fatherhood. Should we be insulting others? Well, you gotta ask the question, what would Jesus do? What did Jesus do in this passage? Did Jesus insult them? He did insult them. He did insult them. And he insulted them with the truth, right? So children, I know you might want to cover your ears a little bit. This is a complex story. But Jesus did insult them. Let's just put it in your kids' minds. That is not, Jesus is telling us you don't have to take insults from others. I'll just make that your lesson today, okay? You do not have to accept the mistreatment of others. Jesus never did that. never sat back there and just let people just do bad stuff to him unless there was some cause. In this case, Jesus is not taking their insults. He insults them. What does he say about their father? Who's their father? Who they father? Abraham? The devil is their father. Woo! Right? He going for it. Jesus ain't playing around. He said, your devil is a fa your father. Why the devil your father? Because you a liar and a murderer just like him. That's what Jesus said, right? Because they lying on Jesus and they intend to kill Jesus. And at the end of this passage, they try to kill Jesus. Jesus is telling the truth about these people. And one of the things you're going to realize if you want to grow up, especially you kids, if you want to grow up and learn the truth, you're going to realize that people are going to be insulted when you say the truth. That's okay. Now we have to learn how to say the truth in ways that don't insult people just because we the way we said it, right? But the truth of the matter is that people are going to be insulted when you say a sin is a sin. When you say God don't want us to steal, somebody who steals is going to be upset with you. God doesn't want us to be doing this before marriage. People are going to be upset with you. God don't want us to be doing drugs. They're going to be upset with you. Jesus says, there's the devil. Now Jesus says a few positive things here. 
Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. What does it take to hear the words of God? That's a question, right? The biggest question in the book is what is belief? But you know, the next question is what causes belief? What makes some people believe and some people don't believe? But Jesus said to his disciples something very interesting in chapter 6. He says, you can't come to me unless the Father draws you. And we'll put it in another way. If God doesn't change our minds, nobody would ever believe in Jesus. And so we all got to be humble because nobody in here was so smart that they changed their own mind. Nobody in here was so smart that they figured it out and that's why you're saved. Nobody in here was so good that their own virtue was convinced them. We all were enemies of the cross. God saved us when we were enemies. In a leadership meeting, we were just talking about a brother who was opposed to our message and would interrupt the service a couple times. Whenever we talked about Jesus being Lord, you know his word that that brother got saved? Do you think he got saved because he became more friendly to Jesus or do you think God saved him despite him being an enemy? Lawrence put it a funny way in a meeting. He said he lost the war and won it at the same time. He was warm with Jesus, right? What did Jesus say to Paul? It's hard for you to kick against the goals. Father will draw those who he draws and it'll be like a musical note is playing that only you can hear. He'll call you and you'll listen. So praise God for his irresistible